0: Open with me, please, to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And while you're looking for Hebrews 12, I'm going to ask them to put once more second Chronicles chapter seven, verse one on the screen. And you and I have been looking at this together for the last nine weeks. My how time flies. We've been talking about the fire and the glory. Thank you, Lord. Put that on the screen for us, guys. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1, it said, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This was a special day in the lives of these people in the life of God's nation They had worked for years and years and spent untold billions of dollars in today's money building the house of the Lord. And it went all the way back to David, who was just walking around his house one day, his big, beautiful house. And he's looking outside and he's going, what am I doing with this big, beautiful house? And God lives in a tent. He said, I'm going to build God a house. But the Lord spoke back to him through his prophet and said, no, I'm going to build you a house. But I want you to see where the initiation began. It was in the heart of David to do something big for God. And David said, fine, if you're not going to let me build it, I'm going to at least get ready to build it. I'm going to at least prepare for it. And he put billions and billions and billions into accounts And gave it to his son Solomon and said, now you build it. A lot of that was his personal reserve. A lot of that was the kingdom's reserve. But all of it was heart. All of it was the representation of his love for God and the presence of God. And after all that money spent and after all that time spent, they came to the place where it was ready. And Solomon was dedicating this temple and he prayed. And when he finished praying, God came to church. Fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. They couldn't even get in. There's a line of guys waiting to get in. The guy in the back's like, why aren't we moving? The guy in the front's like, I can't, I can't get in. Why? God's in there. God's in there. He said, the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. The glory of God, the fire and the glory, the power and the presence. This is what you and I need to be coming to church expecting to see, but not just once a week. You need to be waking up on a Tuesday morning expecting to see the fire and the glory, the power and the presence of God in your life. And what the glory of God simply is, is God on display. God easily seen. Now, maybe not by everybody else around you, but you see him. You see his work going on in your life, God on display. That's what his glory is. And you would, you would read what we just read and say, yeah, that was God on display. Fire coming down and the glory of the Lord filling that temple. That's God on display. And Jesus talked about this in John chapter 14. He said in verse 21, if there's anybody that loves me, he'll be loved by my father. And I will manifest, Jesus said, I will manifest myself to him. I love what the Amplified says. I will show myself. I will reveal myself. I will make myself real to him and clearly seen by him. Jesus is real. I know him. I know him. Anybody else raise a hand and say, I know him. I know him. him. Let me ask you, could you know him more? He's real to you. I know that. But could he be even more real to you? Yeah, he could. Could he be on greater display in your life? I know he could be on greater display in this church. And we've already had some wonderful manifestations of the presence of God in this place. And we're, we're a baby church. We just started. You do realize this isn't normal, right? this is not how you normally start something. The grace of God is on this. Whether you see it or know it or not, I see it. He's on display, but I believe that he could be even greater on display, even more real to us when we come to church together. And that's what this, the, the study of the glory of God is about God being on display. And without intending to and realizing that it was going to happen, I look back across these nine weeks after talking about this and there's this common thread all the way through it. And what I thought we would get to in scripture is more of of what the glory is and, and what the fire and the power of God really is and, and his heavy weighty presence and, and his power to save and his power to heal and, and his power to deliver. And Man, I was excited about that. We were singing about it today. Cover the earth with your glory, Lord. Excited and stirred up about believing to see these, these great manifestations of the glory of God. But what we haven't been able to get away from is this connection between the glory of God and our honor for him. And I think in hindsight, if I were to start it all over again, I might even give it a different name. I might do that. I think this is probably the last service in this series for now, but I could change it today if I wanted to. I can do that. But what we've talked about as much as the fire and the glory is the honor and the glory. The honor and the glory of God. And I see so clearly now why the Lord would have us just hang out there. It's because what good is all that power if it stays locked up behind some door in your life, never manifested. And you live your whole life going, well, I know God's powerful. I've heard that my whole life. You know, my pastor preaches it, God's powerful. Oh, we know he's powerful. Okay, but at some point, right? it's got to start showing up at some point it's got to quit being the topic of a message and become the atmosphere of the room at some point it's got to quit being our words and start becoming the air we breathe so that's why the Lord's had us so focused on honor because honor is what opens that door and it's when you find out what opens the door to the power and the presence of God, what are you finding out at the exact same time? When you find out what opens it, you're also finding out what's been keeping it closed. Do you see that? So if it's honor that opens it, it's a lack of honor. It's a lack of reverence and respect that keeps it closed. I am not content. And I invite you to join me in my discontentedness, (laughs) to live with all this power, shut up behind some door in my life, simply because I didn't see God for who he was and honor him the way he's worthy of it. Amen. Amen. So let's get into something today that I'm saying in Jesus name, you're going to love it. And I have to say it in Jesus' name because (laughs) after talking to the Lord about this, it was one of those, are you sure? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 12, go there with me. Let's just begin reading in verse one. This is all so good. He said in verse one, therefore we also, now if you want to understand what he's saying there, you really have to back up into Hebrews chapter 11, which is that great hall of faith chapter. One right after the other, what they did by faith and how they lived by faith and how they sowed by faith and how they reaped by faith and how they received by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And then you get to chapter 12 and he says, therefore, we also, well, we also what? By faith. He's putting us in that chapter. He's putting us in that same great hall of faith. (laughs) That's awesome. We also, or you could say we also by faith, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. Some translations say patience. Let us run with endurance the race That is set before us. How do we do that? Verse two, looking unto Jesus. Man, we've talked all about that already this morning. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy, somebody say the joy. The joy joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, he's already talked to us about endurance. Let let us run with endurance. And then he's saying, let me tell you or show you the kind of endurance I'm talking about. Put your eyes on Jesus. He's your example of endurance. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, that joy that was out there in front of him, endured the cross. How does somebody make it through the cross? If you know anything about the cross and, and the, how do you even put it into words, the, the physical toll that the body has to pay to endure the cross, it was horrific. It's a high price to pay, not to mention what he was accomplishing in the spirit while he was on the cross. The cross, as awful and terrible as it was, wasn't the highest price paid. It's the separation from the father that he endured for your sin and for mine. How does he endure that? Now you think anybody else has no choice. You take a common criminal who has no power of his own and you surround that person with Roman soldiers and they've got hammer and nail. Whether he wants to endure it or not, he's he's going through it. Here's somebody, though, in Jesus, somebody who had a choice. Somebody who at any given time could have said, enough. I'm done. And the Father would have sent a legion of angels to his rescue. I mean, how tempted would you have been If you knew that was one word away, if your deliverance out of this physical pain, this spiritual pain was nothing but a word away and your father would have done it. How tempted would you have been to say, okay, good, done, uh uh-uh, no more, no more. But he didn't. He endured it. He went all the way through it. How does somebody do that? He endured the cross for the joy that was set out there. The joy that was... Not in that moment, because there was none. But there was joy out in front. Are you following me? It was out there in front of him. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, this will. When you realize what the joy was. Maybe I should say it like this. When you realize who the joy was. You want to know who the joy was? You were. I was. Having us back was that joy. Giving us access to God. Repairing the breach between us. Building the bridge between God and man. That joy was out in front of him. And he kept his eyes on that joy. And through that, he endured. I'm telling you, there's power in looking forward to something. There's enough power in looking forward to something to change your attitude right here and now. Right in this moment, you can get excited about not what's going on right now, but what's out in front of you. The power of looking forward to it. We saw this, maybe I've told you this before, but uh, in our little girl, Jessie, a number of years ago, she was in kindergarten, maybe even preschool. And she woke up one morning, uh, it just happened to be cranky that morning. I don't know, just didn't get good sleep or enough sleep. And she was just kind of moving slow in our house. We call it dragging the wagon and come on guys, quit dragging the wagon. We got to move along. And she's kind of just moping and, 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 and dragging along. It was, I don't remember what month it was, but her class in kindergarten, they would celebrate the shining star of the class and who the shining star was, was the birthday boy or girl. Well, Jessie is born in August, so she's a summer birthday. She doesn't get to be in class for her birthday. So her teacher took any of the kids with summer birthdays and they celebrated, not their birthday, their half birthday. <laughs> they gave them a day on the calendar during the school year that was her half birthday. And that morning when Jessie's dragging along, I don't know where it came from, if you said it or I did, I said, hey baby, uh, Guess what? Your shining star day is just 12 days away, 12 days, not 12 days till her birthday, six months and 12 days, 12 days to her half birthday. And all of a sudden when she realized that we're just 12 days away, all that crankiness went away. She got a smile on her face. She brightened up, got excited about the day. That's the power of looking forward to it. Folks, if you can get excited about your half birthday, <laughs> what about heaven? Cause that's out there in front of you. What about, what about unfiltered, unfettered access to the throne of grace? That's out there. And you don't even have to go into eternity to find something to look forward to. There are things that are coming to us in days. I'm excited about it. And it changes how you endure what's going on right now. Thank you, Lord. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, despising. We've talked a lot in this series about despising and what that actually means. Just thinks little of. And this is what they saying here. Jesus thought so little of the shame. Most of the rest of us would have been swallowed up by it, but he thought so little of it. Why? Because compared to having us back, it mattered not. It was so insignificant. Despising the shame has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse three, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You've not yet resisted to... Uh, resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Consider him who endured such hostility, It said. Oftentimes I think we read that and we think to ourselves, you know what, you're right, Bible. Uh, Jesus did that and if, and if he did that, then I can do this. You know, when we're complaining about something and we're, we're throwing a fit over something that honestly, whatever it is, it pales in comparison to the cross. Can we just be honest about that? As bad as it's ever been for you, nobody was driving nails through your hands and feet. Okay? So you read that sometimes, and if you're not watchful, you read it thinking, okay, well, I get it. Okay, if he did that, I can do this. I don't think that's how we're supposed to read it. I think what you're supposed to read is, because he did that, I can do this. It's not comparing the two things, it's drawing strength from what he did in his endurance from the the hostility that was against him. He says, you've not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Now, this is what I wanna get to today. Verse five, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. You could say sons or daughters. What exhortation is he talking about? This is it. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't what? Despise it. Now we're going to go back to first Samuel chapter two in just a moment, but that's been another one of the foundation scriptures. As we've talked about this, you remember what the Lord said, those who, excuse me, those who honor me, I will honor. When you look up these words, the word translated honor is the same word translated glory. Those who honor me, those who give weight to me, those who put value on my things, what's God saying? I can honor you. I can give weight to you in your life. I can value your things. Again, that honor is what opens the door. You give him glory, guess what he gets to do? Give you glory. He gets to shine the glory of God into your life. But then he said, those who despise me, will be lightly esteemed. So there's that correlation again to the difference between what's weighty and what's heavy. Despising, when we think about it, we think about, ooh, gross, I hate that. And nobody in here would say, ooh, gross, I hate God. Surely not, so no, I don't despise, but that's not the fullness of what that word means. It just means to fail to appreciate. To despise just means you don't give it enough weight. You don't find it valuable. And he said, that's why he's drawing this picture here. You give weight to my things, I'll give weight to yours. If you do not find my things weighty and valuable, I don't have access to give you weight and give value to your things. See what's keeping the door closed? A lack of honor. So he uses that same word here. My son, do not despise, do not think little of, do not give no weight to the chastening of the Lord. The chastening of the Lord. He's talking about correction. See how excited everybody gets? (laughs) Don't despise it. Don't think little of the chastening or the correction of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Notice he said when you are rebuked by him. Not if. When, when you are rebuked by him, don't be discouraged. Verse six, why? How can I keep from being discouraged? For whom the Lord loves, he chastens or he corrects and scourges every son whom he receives. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Whom the Lord loves, loves, he does what? He corrects. I want you to say this out loud. Say, I I love 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 correction. correction. Say this, I I need need correction. correction. Try this one. I I want want correction. correction. Let me tell you why you want it. Because it's a manifestation of his love. If you go your whole life and you're not receiving correction from the father, then there's a whole part of the, there's a whole facet of his love that you're not experiencing. His correction is as much a manifestation of him in our lives as healing, as deliverance or prosperity, his correction. <laughs> I love correction. I love it. Actually, if you want a title for this today, you can call it love correction. Some of you might be old enough to remember the old game show, love connection. We ain't talking about that. It's love correction. And let me just jump out ahead here. This is one of the things that if you're not aware of it, it'll keep the door to the glory closed, not receiving correction. He went on and said in verse seven, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten or correct? If you are without correction or if you're without chastening, of which all of us, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So not only are you not accessing part of the love of God, you're missing out on this whole father relationship with him because there is no such thing as a child that never needs correction. (laughs) Let's try it again. (laughs) There's no such thing as a child that never needs correction. I know you think your baby's perfect, but they need correction. Proverbs says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod will help that. There's no such thing as a child that never needs correction. And if you're thinking, well, my my baby, he's 18 years old and I've just never had to discipline, never had to correct him. Yeah, and he's a hellion. (laughs) Because if they're left, they, we, any of us are left to ourselves. That foolishness has to come out at some point. There's no such thing as a child that never needs correction. And there's no such thing as a child of God that never needs correction. Now, if all you ever hear from God is yes, or you're great, or way to go, or yes, do that. If all you ever hear, let me, I should say it like this. If all you ever hear is exactly what you want to hear, you are not listening, (laughs) not close enough because there's a whole side of him because he is love. And what does love do? It corrects. Love corrects. Just like a father would correct. Because he is a father. Thank you, Lord. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, I'm going to give you a blank and I want you to fill it in. Don't put this on the screen. Don't give this away. He who spares his rod does what to his son? Wrong. It does not say spoil. Put it on the screen. Proverbs thirteen, twenty-four. Oh. He who spares his rod Hates. does what? Hates. Hates. Oh my, God. Oh my God. <laughs> Somebody got it. He who spares his rod. That, what is that? Correction. Does what? Hates. Hates his son. Oh, I just love my kids too much. There's no way I could discipline. There's no way I could correct. You don't love them. Don't look at me like that. I'm reading Bible to you. He who spares his rod. It's much worse than spoiling. It's hating. And I don't know, there might be some translations that say spoil, I don't know where we got it, but I'm telling you, that's what the word is. He who spares his rod or never corrects actually hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him. When? Promptly. Why? Because love does what? Corrects. Love corrects. Go back to 1 Samuel we made mention of this a second ago, but first Samuel chapter two, this has been one of our foundation scriptures for this whole series. Verse 30 again, I've just mentioned it. The Lord said to Eli, the priest, those who honor me, I'll honor those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. But this was correction. You need to understand the context that God spoke to this man in. Eli's sons, his sons, were acting and living so inappropriately, so sinfully. These sons of the priest were actually stealing offerings. The the offering that the people would bring of the sacrifice, they would keep it. And the Lord had already given them as, as the family of the priesthood, he'd already blessed them out of the offering. But to them it wasn't enough, they wanted more. So they stole on top of what God had already given them. On top of that, they were having adulterous relationships with the women who served in the tent, in the sanctuary. And this was happening not once, not twice, but over and over and over again. See, God had made a promise to this tribe that you'll stand before me all the days. And, and out of this tribe will come the priesthood and this office that I've given you. And it was an honor and there was a blessing attached to it. But these guys got to live in like it was granted and they were untouchable. And word came back to Eli about what his sons were doing. And, uh, he said to them in verse 24, so back up from where we were reading, he said, no, my sons, it's not a good report that I hear You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede from him? But listen to this next part. Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father. The NIV says his sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. They didn't listen. Part of the reason why they didn't listen is the rebuke wasn't strong enough. When this kind of junk's going on, is not the time to sit down and say, boys, listen, you know, I love you, but you can't do that. Now promise me, promise me you're not going to do this anymore. What God actually said to Eli just a few verses later. He said, you know, I said, I said, your family's going to stand before me, but he said, not now, not, not now. Now the rule is those who honor me, I'll honor them, but those who despise me be lightly esteemed. And what God told Eli was this. He said, you honor your sons more than you honor me. He said that to him. You honor your sons more than you honor me. How did he honor them more? By not shutting that junk down. This is not a time for a behind closed doors warning. You got to shut this down. I don't care if they are blood. I don't care if they are your boys. I don't care if you raised them. You were there the day they were born and you've loved them every day of their life. If you love them, You'll shut this down. You want to know what happened to those boys? They both died on the same day in battle. No honor for God. The correction wasn't strong enough. And the correction they did receive, they didn't hear it. They didn't regard it. And God's anger was aroused saying, you've honored your family more than you honor me. Listen to some of the things the scripture has to say about correction. Say it again. I love correction. I need it. I want it. Proverbs 10 verse 17. uh, Most of these, all of these are going to be out of the book of Proverbs. Isn't it interesting that this book of wisdom has so much to say about correction. Proverbs 10, 17 says, he who keeps instruction is in the way of life. Or you could say the path of life. But he who refuses correction goes astray. He gets off track. Proverbs 12, one, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who correct, or who, excuse me, he who hates correction is what? Stupid. Stupid. (sighs) Can I admonish you this morning? Don't be stupid. (laughs) He who hates correction is stupid. Proverbs 13, 18 says, poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction, but he who regards a rebuke will be honored, honor, glorified, given glory. How do you get that? Regard the rebuke, receive it, hear it, acknowledge it. Proverbs 15, 5 in the New Living Translation says, Only a fool despises a parent's discipline. Whoever learns from correction is wise. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 10 says, Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. Is this serious stuff? Is this serious? Eli's sons found out what happens when you hate correction. When you despise it, just simply fail to acknowledge it or value it. He who hates correction will die. Chapter 10 verse 17 says, he who keeps instruction is in the way of, the New Living Translation says, on the pathway to life. He who refuses, or you could say he who ignores it, goes astray. Chapter 13 verse 18 says, poverty and shame. I read this one to you, uh, will come to him who disdains correction. He who regards a, a rebuke will be honored. Where we were looking there in the book of Hebrews made it clear to us, correction's not fun. We're talking about loving it. We're talking about wanting it. We're talking about needing it. But none of those things have anything to do with enjoying it. But do you realize you don't have to enjoy something to love it? When you know what it's going to do for you. When you know the fruit it's going to produce. You don't have to enjoy correction to love it. But when you know where it's coming from. When you know. That God is not just God, but he's your father. And he loves you. Then when you hear something. And it just. It hurts your pride when, when it gets called out and you get called on the carpet. And it, 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 it's, it's why I had to write to him and say, don't be discouraged. Why? Because it's kind of discouraging. Yeah. If you think too long about it, you think, man, I am messed up. I blew it. And what you don't want to do is give so much thought to that that you actually end up opening the door to the devil to come in and say, yeah, you know what? You really did. That hammer you're hitting yourself with right now, that's not near big enough. (laughs) Try this one. (laughs) And that condemnation hammer just comes in and you just start beating yourself up and you find yourself saying things like this. I never do anything right. Now, wait a second. There's no way that's true. You never, never have done or do anything right. Recognize that that's not correction. That's condemnation. And there's a difference as parents. Correction is not just telling your child they did wrong. That's not correction. That was wrong. You messed up. That was wrong. That was stupid. Watch your words. That's not correction. Think about the word itself. Correction. What word do you see in there? Correct. Correction has to do not just with finding what was wrong, but showing what's right. That's how you know you're receiving good correction. It's not somebody just beating you up over doing something wrong. It's somebody loving you enough to take the time and to show you, here's what's right. Correction comes out of love. So don't ever give voice to the enemy and start saying, I never do anything right. I can't get it right. I'm a failure going somewhere to happen. No, no, no. Well, it's one thing. We're talking about one thing here. And recognize it's love that's saying this to you. It's love that's telling you, that wasn't right, this is. But just because good correction is done in love doesn't necessarily mean it's always done in these soft, sweet words. Folks, we are a part of a generation that cannot handle correction. Can't take it. You try as a leader to, to correct or direct. Oh, oh, oh. Moi, moi? You're correcting moi we oui, vu it was wrong <laughs> yes and it's amazing to think that that people think of themselves that that at such a young age they they've arrived at this Perfect, God-like, Christ-like perfection and that they need no direction, they need no instruction, they need no correction and they want to come work for you but they want to say, you know what you need to do is stop micromanaging me and just give this to me and let me do. They cannot handle correction. They're good with compliments. Oh yeah, you want to compliment them, go for it. You want to give them high praises? Sure. They'll take that. But when people show up and they're like, uh, look, I've worked here for a month and a half. I think it's time. (laughs) We talk about my raise. We talk about my management position and you go, well, can we talk about you being late four days a week? Listen, how dare you? This is, this is my life and my truth. And, and I, I, I had to take that time for my mental health and my own soul. And if you, if you say something about, Hey, work starts at eight 30 and that's all you say. There are many people, and I'm not saying all, but, but as a generation, there are people who will walk out so mean. He's so hard. He's so harsh. Why? Cause somebody corrected you. Cause somebody said, here's what's right. Don't you want to know what's right? You ought to want to know what's right. And I'm not saying somebody needs to jump all over you cause you missed something here or there, but let's imagine you and I are, we're in a car together. You're driving. I'm riding. And man, you're flying, you're doing like 110 miles an hour and you don't necessarily know the terrain, but I do. And I say, hey, now listen, in in two miles, this road ends and there's a cliff. You're, You're going pretty quick. I just want to mention to you, you're going to have to make a turn at some point. You have to make a change. And then another mile goes by and then another half mile goes by and you're still doing 110, 120. How many of you want me as your passenger when we're an eighth of a mile from the edge of a cliff to say, listen, (laughs) first of all, you're great. (laughs) Um, I love those shoes. And um, I think that there's so many great things about you. (laughs) Why? because if I dare correct, you're driving without first giving you half an hour of compliments. (laughs) We gonna die. (laughs) If somebody knows the road and you're headed for the cliff, how many of you want them to speak up, say something, stop it now. How dare you (laughs) tell me how to drive? Well, Let me out and go die because if that's how you're going to be, correction saves our lives because that's what love does. Right on the other hand, what kind of person would I be if I knew you were headed for a cliff and didn't say a word and just stood there and said, watch this. That's... that's. About a half step away from murder. There's no love in that. What does love do? Corrects. Love directs, love corrects. And if you're not receiving correction from God, number one, you're not listening close enough because there is not a child of God that never needs correction. But if you're never hearing it, there's a whole part of His love that you're not taking advantage of. I remember being what, 18 years old. And I came into my parents one day and I said, I so love hearing the voice of God that I don't care if it comes to me in the form of correction. As long as it's him talking, I love it. And that's the place you gotta come to. Where you so love the manifestation of the glory of God that even if it shows up in your life with him correcting you, you decide... I love that all oh, that hurt so good, <laughs> but man, you gotta get through that pride. You gotta get through that arrogance. You gotta get through that embarrassment. I told you just a few minutes ago, I got corrected this week. I had already stood up here on several different occasions and said to the church, hey, we're gonna pay this building off. We're gonna get into this building project and, and pay off project together and then After taking some time and praying about it, there's a lesson in there somewhere. (laughs) The Lord said, that's not right. Now I got a choice right then. Father, that's embarrassing. I got to stand up and tell everybody, but here's the deal. People already knew you weren't perfect. They knew that about you. I don't know if that's, that's a surprise or a shock to you, but they already knew They knew that about you. And do you know that I would way rather have the help of God in doing what he wants us to do than spare some brief period of what? Oh, sorry, I got that wrong. He loves us. He loves us. And because of that love, yes, that love will encourage you and yes that love will bless you and yes that love will tell you wonderful things about the way he sees you and and what he's called you to do and who he's called you to be and and what he sees that you're capable of but what else will that love do correct Correct. and don't be caught going god um can we go back to all that other stuff like tell me again how great i am There's a whole part of the love of God. There's a whole part of him as your father. You're not receiving if you're not open to correction. I love correction. I think I didn't read that to you in Hebrews 12. He said in verse nine, furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? Now, even paying respect to human fathers seems to be a lost art, not in this house. You need to be saying that, that no matter the way that our culture goes in your house, it's going to be a godly environment. It's going to be a godly atmosphere and the children growing up in our homes, this is part of raising a family in the household of faith, is that they are given to respect and to honor. And there's practical teaching in that, but we train them, honor your father and your mother. Why? Because the Bible says it'll go well with you. You'll live a long life, you'll prosper. Honor opens the door to prosperity. Isn't that amazing to think that raising a kid with some manners? could have this kind of effect on their lives, that they prosper. But we've already talked about it. Employers right now all over the world are having to deal with generations who are 22 and have arrived. (laughs) And they know everything and they can do anything. And you need to leave me alone so I can do it. But do you know how much it would stand out when your son and your daughter comes into an interview and are dressed nice? and they have respect and they treat the person interviewing them with respect and with kindness and they're soft-spoken instead of prideful and arrogant, that stands out. That stands out beyond anything you can put on a resume. And if there's an employer or a leader that's worth anything or knows anything, They may look at some of the credentials and some of the achievements, but if they sit across from somebody that carries the honor of God, they'll be drawn to it like a magnet. Think about it. It's already going well with them. They got selected and people with higher education and more experience got passed over. What opened that door? They treated mom and dad with respect. And they were raised in a home that taught them to respect. And when they disrespected, the parents honored God more than they honored their children. And they got corrected. They got corrected. There's a great scripture in the book of Proverbs. I should have found it for you. I think it says, the son or he who mocks with his eye, his lights will be put out something like that. Basically, don't roll your eyes at me. Don't roll your eyes at me, boy. How many you know? I know you love him, but you don't let that go on. Oh, but I just, I just love him so much. He's got a good heart. Yeah, I know. He stole all the money out of my purse and he, and he lied to me. And I know he, I know he, he took the car without asking and wrecked it. I know, but he's got a good heart. Does he? (laughs) Come on, be honest. Something's wrong in the heart. How do you get that changed? Correction. Showing them what's right. Okay. He says, uh, for they, our sin indeed for a few days chastened us as seen best of them. But he, talking about God, our father, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It tells you right here, look, it's not fun. You don't enjoy it, but you don't have to enjoy it to love it if you know what it's producing in your life. In the last couple of minutes that we have here, let me give you three ways I believe the Lord corrects us and we'll put these scriptures on the screen for you. Number one, he corrects us through his word. Won't you say it? He corrects me me. through his word. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 and 17 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And here's the result that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Man, I like the idea of that. That gets me so excited to think about myself and my family and this ministry equipped for the work. Nothing more frustrating than somebody telling you to go do a job without giving you the tools to do it, right? Go build that house, but I'm not giving you a hammer. I'm not giving you a shovel. I'm not giving you a drill. I'm not giving you the materials. How do you do it? You're not equipped, but when you become equipped for the work and you've got the tools you need, and you've got the resources you need, then you can get the job done. And the word of God with it comes the equipping to do what he's called you to do, to be what he's called you to be. But within that word and with that word, we love to refer to the word of God. These are love letters. These are love letters from God. These are love letters from a loving father and they are, but guess what love does? It corrects. And if you're reading the word of God and you never get corrected by it, you're not reading close enough. You're not listening closely enough because the word of God, he said it. He said it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. And some of these words are strong words. Some of these words are not, like we talked about a moment ago, softly spoken and you just kind of hint at that maybe there might be a problem and if you would maybe consider doing it a different way. No. Jesus. Jesus had some things to say to people. Woe to you hypocrites. You brood of vipers. You whitewashed tombs. No compliments in there. It wasn't like, Mr. Pharisee, that's such a nice robe. And I, 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 you know, that thing you said that one day, there was some, maybe some truth and not just honest. Saving people's lives and the word of God is good for that. So when you sit down to read the word, when you sit down to read the word, okay, Before you open it up sometime, say, Lord, as I open this, I open my heart to correction. And if there's something in here that I've not been walking, I've not been doing, I've not been practicing, I'm open to you. Correct me. You love me, so correct me. He corrects us through his word. I mean, start in 1 Corinthians 13 about the love of God. If you've you've ever read 1 Corinthians 13 and you weren't corrected at the end of it, read it again. (laughs) Love is patient. Enough said. (laughs) Right? That's correction. How else does he correct us? He corrects us through his spirit. He corrects us by his word. He corrects us by his spirit living in us. Jesus said in John 16, verse eight, when he, talking about the spirit of truth, when the Holy Spirit's come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Convict. That's the same word used or translated convince, correct. A huge part of the assignment of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to correct. But again, this is where people have it wrong. They've got it in their head that the Spirit of God is following them around, waiting for them to mess up. Uh-huh. Right? Just waiting. No, 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 no. Stop, stop. Don't do that. That'll grieve me. <laughs> Wait, well, no, 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 no. Uh uh-uh, uh uh. That grieves me. You want me to leave? I'm leaving. <laughs> people find faults because they look for them. That's what makes them fault finding. They are first fault seeking the spirit of God is in you not to find fault. He's not walking around with that holy no, no stick. Just wanting to slap your hand, slap your hand, slap your hand. That's not him. Jesus here in John 16 and in other places told us he doesn't speak of his own. He takes of mine and he declares it to you. In other words, the spirit of God is in you with one purpose to show you Jesus to show you Jesus, to reveal Jesus to you. And when he's revealing Jesus to you, what are you seeing? What is correct? You are seeing perfection. You are seeing what's right. And this is the way the spirit of God corrects us. When we miss it, when we mess it up or when we sin or fail or whatever it is, he corrects you not by going, Oh, you did it again. You idiot. You did it again. That's not his voice. Love and correction is not just the finding of a fault. Love and correction will show you perfection so that you and I can say, okay, now, wait a second. That's Jesus. That's what Jesus does. This is what I did. Hmm. This doesn't look like that. And that doesn't look like this. I see what's right. I see it. The spirit of God is in you to show you Jesus and in seeing him, this is so powerful. First John chapter three says, when we see him, we will be like him. Oh, Thank you, Lord, because we see him as he is. So he corrects us by his word. He corrects us by his spirit. And once again, if you've never received correction there in your heart, listen closer because he loves you. And that's what love does. And then finally, This one you're going to really love. He corrects us by his word. He corrects us by his spirit and he corrects us by his people. And that's where people get hung up. They're all good. As long as you're talking about getting correction from God, people get tripped up when you start talking about receiving correction from God through somebody else. Listen to this from second Timothy chapter four. This is right after what he said to him in chapter three, the last part of that verse, he said all scripture or the last part of that chapter, all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. In righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Chapter four, verse one. I charge you therefore, listen to this, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. What's the charge? Preach the word. That's the charge. Be ready in season and out of season to do what? Convince. It's the same word translated convict. To convince, to rebuke. He's talking to a preacher. I charge you, preacher, preach the word. And in the preaching of the word, convince or convict, rebuke, exhort. And then you need this with all long suffering, because it's going to take some patience. He's talking to a young pastor, preach the word. Would there ever be pressure for a pastor to not preach the word? And the Lord says, address this. And the pastor says, uh, uh I'm not addressing that. Those people give preach the word. I'm not preaching that those people serve preach the word. Yeah. But what if somebody feels like I'm correcting them? That's what love does. That's what love does. If as a pastor, I never corrected, I could not stand before the Lord and say, I love those people. You know what he would say? You hated them. No, Lord, I I preached to him. You don't correct. It's hate. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He corrects us through his word. He corrects us by his spirit. And he corrects us through his people. His people. Are you correctable? Am I correctable? Because if we're not, then there's a great degree of the glory of God that's shut up, locked behind some door in our lives that can't get out because it's reverence that receives correction. I'll tell you the story and we'll be done. Um, Several years ago, I was in flight training and and doing some recurrent training with my flying and I was just looking around one day for some podcasts to listen to. I wanted to hear pilots talk. If you never just listen to pilots talk, it's it's fun. They talk airplanes all the time. And uh, I came across a podcast. It was actually being hosted by a guy in Europe, but he was talking to a guy from just outside Dallas, not far from where I live. And I listened to this interview and this particular guy was interviewing this pilot uh, started flying at a young age, got into the military, flew everything the military had to offer. And he just rose in the ranks and he was definitely a skilled pilot and flew in combat and trained others how to fly. And he got so high, I guess you'd say in the ranks and so proficient at his flying that he was actually invited to be a part of the SR 71 program. Now, the SR-71 is a military aircraft that even looking at it now, I mean, it it came out in the 60s, but even now it's a marvel. I mean, this thing would fly at 2,000 miles an hour at up around 80 or 90,000 feet. I mean, up that high, you're looking at the curvature of the earth. And when you're flying something like that, there are precious few people in the world that could even handle something like that. It requires such precision. It requires such exactness. As a matter of fact, when they would take off, they, would, they had a, a joystick like a, a normal fighter aircraft would, but when they got up to those kinds of speeds, 1,500, 2,000 miles an hour, and they're flying across continents in minutes, they would stop controlling the aircraft with that joystick And they would use, he talked about it. I haven't even seen it yet, but it's this tiny little control stick because at that kind of speed, you don't take a hard (laughs) right. You make little adjustments, tiny little corrections. And what was interesting to me about this guy was after flying that program and then becoming an instructor in that program, and then retiring from the military and going on to fly, uh, commercial aviation for the next 15, 20 years, which I thought to myself, how boring (laughs) 500 miles an hour. Wake me when we get there, right? Uh, He's used to flying 2000, but this guy, he's got all this experience, military civilian. And there's, like I said, precious few people who could even begin to fly at that level. Well, this interviewer got to ask him, he's like, well, what are you doing now? I mean, you've done everything. You've flown everything. What are you doing now? He said, "Um, I I teach young people how to fly at this little flying club here in Dallas. They fly little Cessna 172s, which is kind of what I was flying at the time. It's like a lawnmower engine with wings, basically. (laughs) It's it's not impressive. (laughs) And uh, this interviewer asked him a question. He said... How do you teach these guys? I mean, you have flown everything, you've had every imaginable experience. What do you say to them? And what he said was so profound to me. He said, When you're learning, when you're learning to fly, I tell these guys all the time, something is always off. When you're learning, something's gonna be off. You're gonna be a few degrees off your heading. You're going to be 50 feet off your altitude. Something's going to be off when you're learning. He said, I just look at him and say, tell me that you see it. All I want to know is that you see it and you're doing something about it. Now, I had flight instructors who didn't have a fraction of this guy's knowledge, ability or experience. And I've had instructors that actually made me hate flying because of the way they would talk to me. I had this one guy from India and we're flying these little loud 172s. It's hard to hear anyway, but when somebody's yelling at you in a thick Indian accent, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. I'm like, it was nothing but you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And he would, he would say, come on, use common sense. Use common sense. I'm like, bro, I drive. That's what's common to me. But here's a guy who's achieved a level of perfection. Somebody that could beat somebody else up over the head for getting it wrong. But you know what he said instead? Just tell me you see it. Just tell me you see it and you're doing something about it. So you're flying along and, and he, wants his, he wants his student to say, I'm 50 feet off my altitude. I'm pulling nose up. Uh, I'm a few degrees off my my heading. I'm going to bank left just a little bit. And I thought, what a picture of our God. What holiness and what perfection he is. And in his loving correction, you know what he's saying? Just tell me you see it. Just tell me you see it. And if you don't, I'll show it to you. And tell me we're doing something about it. How how do we respond to correction? It's not with excuses. It's not with shifting the blame. Spiritual people respond to correction like this. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. You're right. I'm wrong. And I'm sorry. Spiritual people respond like this. I see that. I see that. And I'm going to change that. By your grace, I'm going to change that. Not a fight. Not an excuse. Right? Not a pointing of the finger somewhere else. You're right, Lord. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. And you can walk away from that. I know it didn't feel good. Oh, but he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Amen. Amen. Say this. I I love love correction. correction. Why don't you stand on your feet with me? I'm telling you, if we want more of the glory of God in our lives, more of God on display, you got to be open to this right here. Wide open to this right here. And just like he said in the book of Hebrews, our natural father's corrected us and we gave them reverence. How much more should we give our heavenly father the reverence, the honor? Why don't you just say it out loud? Just say, it, Lord, Lord correct, me. correct me. And when you do, and when we do I'll, see I'll see it. And by your grace, by your, grace by your help, by your help we'll, do we'll do something about it. Thank you for your help, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. The thing about receiving correction from be it a a pastor, a minister, another person of God in your life, here's what you got to keep in mind. We don't always do it just right. If you're looking for a leader who will correct you perfectly, Godspeed and good luck, my friend. (laughs) And let me know when you find them. I know I've had to offer correction to different ones before, and I'm quite sure I could have said it better or, or delivered it better, but spiritual people, spiritual people will say, Lord, are you talking? Because if you are, I'm listening. Don't require something from somebody else that you're not able to do yourself. The thing with other people is they're just like you people. And if it weren't for other people, man, I'd be an awesome Christian. (laughs) You would be too. But we are nothing without each other. We need each other. So I'm sure there'll be opportunity as this church grows and develops and you get plugged in. Whether it's here on a Sunday morning, you hear something from the Word and you go, "Ooh, ouch, that stung. Don't be discouraged. Get up, walk out and go, my Heavenly Father loves me. My pastor loves me. My church loves me and I ain't stupid.
1: <laughs>
0: and if somebody sees that you're headed for a cliff, be willing for them to speak up and to speak boldly. Be willing to see it, be willing to hear it and be willing to make a change. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Anything? Thank you, Father.
1: I had this come up in my heart when I was sitting there that, um, you know, you want to find out who God has put in your life that has the ability that you trust to speak into your life. And, um, you know, you want to find that if, is that your pastors, is that the people who's put you under, find out who he's called you to be under. And you, you don't have to listen to every single thing anybody tells you. <laughs> um, you want to check and judge and discern that with the Spirit of God on the inside of you. But you do want to have somebody that you'll come up under and that you'll submit to and that you will honor and you'll look to for that guidance and that advice. And God puts those people in our lives to help us and to help us from going off a cliff. I know Jeremy and I have found who those elders are in our life and our pastors. We still have that. And we will listen to them when they speak to us, even if we don't want to hear it. (laughs) And it's always, it's usually right. And it's awesome. It's always been right for us. But find out who that is from the Lord and then come up under that by faith. It takes faith to submit. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, it makes your life a lot richer. Um, My pastor said this once. He said, a lot of people are out there operating without a net. And can you imagine walking over uh, High high wire, somewhere and you've got nothing under you to catch you or to help you or to guide you or to steer you. It's a gift to have these people in your life and to have correction. I just wanted to mention this before you leave. If you did not pick up your succulent last week, mothers, moms for Mother's Day, we have them waiting for you out there right now. So just go out there and grab one and they're our gift to you from Mother's Day. We love you so much. Altar ministers, would you come please? Altar ministers come. If you need prayer for
0: anything today, we've got altar ministers who are here. ready, willing, and able to pray and pray in faith with you. Uh, Let's make plans like we said next week. Dedication weekend. Be ready. Be early. early, Be nice. (laughs) Be nice. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for your word today. We hear it. We receive it. We see it. Thank you for loving us enough to correct us. We're wide open to it. We love you and we thank you for loving us. And we thank you that all this week we will be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing with the right people in jesus name we'll see you tuesday for prayer and saturday night for dedication weekend thank you so much for tuning in today we hope you enjoyed this message If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950. And follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you, and remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.